When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. Welcome to our program. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, IRD Duhallow celebrates its 30th anniversary. Edmund Moakley, Dairy Advisor, Chagas Office in Mallow, reminds listeners of an important event this coming Monday. But first, the potential significance of the UK election results for farmers. In this week's Irish Farmers Journal, Brussels-based international market specialist Mr Phelan O'Neill tries to evaluate what the UK election result will mean for farmers and exporters on the entire island of Ireland. First of all, for Irish farmers south of the border, the big immediate benefit would be the return of sterling to values last seen at the time of the referendum. And he points out, of course, a strengthening of sterling has the opposite effect for the six counties for Northern Ireland farmers who are selling into euro currency areas. However, Mr O'Neill points out there remains a risk of what this new deal will actually look like. He suggests if the UK diverges from EU standards and doesn't align with the EU customs union then, the equivalent of a hard Brexit means a possibility at the end of 2020 or whenever the negotiations on a future trading relationship are concluded, FTR, future trading relationships. As part of his analysis in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, Mr O'Neill points out the large majority received by outgoing Conservative Prime Minister Boris Johnson means he is now in a position to deliver his Brexit deal. This deal was rejected by Parliament in the UK and the direct cause of this unscheduled general election. It's expected that Mr Johnson will move immediately to get the deal ratified by the UK Parliament. The UK Parliament would then leave the European Union on March 31st and enter a transition period that's scheduled to end with a future trading relationship agreed between the European Union and the UK by the end of 2020. And that a brief analysis is part of a very detailed analysis contained in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, written by Mr. Phelim O'Neill, International Market Specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. On December 13, 2019, the Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Michael Creed, TD, confirmed that payments under the 2019 Beef Exceptional Aid Measure, BEAM for short, had commenced to 32,444 farmers to the value of about 75 million euro. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Mr Edmund Moakley, Dairy Advisor with the Chagask office in Mallow. First of all, Edmund, welcome to the programme. Could you please remind our listeners about a very important event coming up on Monday next? Hello, John. Um, yes, there is an AHIE 
Calf Care event coming up on the Schnock Farm just outside Bandon. And that event is on next Monday, the 16th, at 11 a.m. So the event is being run between AHI and the Tagus team in West Cork, headed by Tom Corn. And that will cover everything, I suppose, that's very topical at the moment, just going back to calf care, calf health, being prepared for the upcoming calving season, which is fast approaching. The event, again, is to be held in Schnock Farm, which is just outside Bendon. Um, and that is for Monday the 16th, starting at 11 a.m. Successful calving and getting calves over those first uh, very important few hours. This week, you're hitting around 50 days to the 1st of February. So that's seven weeks in one day. So preparation of calving, first and foremost, especially with cows in the herd, is drying off cows. And for farmers that haven't dried off yet, being conscious of the fact that 50 days roughly to the 1st of February. So like, if you look at farmers that are using dry therapy, now I would be hoping that they've got sensitivity tests done and they've picked out the codes that they may be using selective dry therapy on, but there's going to be codes that are getting dry therapy. So just being conscious of the withdrawal period. So the likes of Bova clocks, you're looking at 49 days. Nora clocks can drop down to 35 days, but more common ones in like Keprovan, you can be looking at 54 days withdrawal, which is over the period we have at this moment in time. So just being conscious of that, so drawing off the codes, getting the correct um, condition, get, get, getting the codes dried off correctly, um, which is difficult as well to cows hose and things, so having cubicles dry, having the yard clean, and long the time to do it, and having good lighting in, um, in the facilities. Following on to that then, John, as you touched on, for, so prep for calving. I suppose 1st of February hits fast every year. Um, we have Christmas, dairy farmers, which I deal, deal with, let's say, get a break for a couple of weeks over Christmas, and the next thing is you get from the middle of January into the start of February, cows start calving, and I suppose with EBI and the advances that are being made in fertility and with bull gestation and sort of getting somewhat short on some cases, so calves are hitting ground earlier. And the calving, the targets that we set out in Tagus of 90% in six weeks, it's been achieved in a lot of farms that I'm dealing with now, John. So it's a busy time. Um, that's why taking advantage of the quiet period between now and the new year. And if there is a quiet period, if they get a couple of days off just to get on top of what's needed in the calf house, organising the calf house, moving out bits of machinery that might be still inside her, um, freeing channels, ensuring the gates are hanging properly, ensuring the water tracks are working. Simple things, just go in, assess it, see what needs to be done, rather than trying to do it in the weeks coming up to the end of January and into the start of February, let's say, where people end up firefighting and it takes a lot of time, it's time-consuming. So just put a bit of time into it now and a bit of thought and planning and make it a bit easier on yourselves. Speaking to Mr Edmund Moakley, Chagask Dairy Advisor with Mallow, we turn now to soil fertility. And essentially, I know that Chagask advisors are always trying to implement procedures and practices which will give the farmer more control over his own situation, be it um, milk recording, soil sampling, etc. But a general comment, Edmund, on soil fertility and uh, the need or advantages of reviewing your soil fertility and the role of uh, soil sampling in all of this? We're in the middle of December. It's kind of an optimum time. Conditions have been fairly good, let's say, to get out in the fields. But just get out, take the soil samples for people who haven't done in recent years. Familiarise yourself with the fertility status of the farm. Okay, I think every farmer in recent years has begun to realise the importance of it. It's the cheapest feed we've available. You take it back to 2018, where we had a very poor grass growth. People see the extra costs and the way that it hit the performance of the, of the farm. So, like, having soil fertility right, 
or knowing what your soil fertility status is allows you to correct it and have the soil fertility right, be it getting out with slurry on that ground or getting out with the correct compounds in relation to P and K and then the all-important lime, being able to get that out on the fields that need it and get it out effectively. Most Irish farms have a lime deficit. Yes, a lot of farms have a lime deficit and it tends to be the case on heavier farms that uh, lime is required even more. I suppose, like in a changing times where we're moving from more can products to urea and protected urea more so, let's say, uh, these can be harder on the pH and it's very important to get the lime out to correct that pH so that you get the optimum availability of nitrogen P and K. Right? It came out recently there about our water qualities and it's being raised that they're declining. But I suppose from a farmer's perspective, the only thing a farmer can do is look inside your own farm gate know what your soil fertility status is and put out the nutrients according to those products of what they need. That's what most farmers do. In derogation, there's a very um, comprehensive plan done for the farms. There will be a requirement put to those farmers, let's say, to get soil samples because there's a requirement to do them once every four years and it's on a set block ground. But like for every farmer, anyone who is um, grassland farming, it is very important to know what the soil fertility status is and just correct it. By putting lime on your land, it's a trigger to release other elements in the soil to perform their maximum, optimum purpose. The lime facilitates the release of the useful functions of other parts of the soil. The lime, it just frees up the soil at, um, at the optimum pH, which for gasoline farms is around 6.3 to 6.5, and it makes the phosphorus, the potash, which are all um, critical for grass growth, and the nitrogen more available and what it does is it's available to the plant it's not getting leached it's getting get lost and i suppose any of the peas and k's so like soil would naturally hold and bind a certain amount of peas and k's so by putting out lime what you're doing is you're releasing that p and k to the plant to allow for good grass growth or for other crops as well depending on the ph required now this time of the year getting towards the end of the year but still a few weeks left financial review and e-profit monitor so the role of the financial review in letting you know what the situation is even if it's um, good bad or indifferent so the financial review and the role of the e-profit monitor edmund the e-profit monitor it's a tool that has been around for a good while in tagusk um in recent years, there has been pushed through the KT scheme. It was made compulsory and people had to do it, let's end. People don't always like doing it, I'll admit. But what a farmer needs to remember is farming is a business. Yes, it's a way of life. It's something people are fortunate they can do. But at the end of the day, you have to make ends meet. You have to make a return from it. Um, if something isn't adding up, you have to question it and look at it. And if you keep doing the same thing and you're expecting a different result, it's not going to be the case. So the profit monitor is there. It breaks down. The expenditure, it breaks down the income. Um, it looks at the land that's rented. It looks like the land that's owned. It looks at what milk is sold to the co-op, what milk may be used for calves, let's say for beef, let's say, or for the replacement heifers. And it gives you an opportunity then to break down relative to other farmers that would be very similar circumstances or maybe even look at it nationally. So do a comparison on what the cost per cent per litre or per hectare per cow of the fertiliser um, ration the contractor, you know, the main bills, take it down to the veterinary, take it down to breeding. So I suppose what I want to say, John, is to people, there's a very useful tool there for most um, dairy farmers would be signed up to ICBF Herd Plus. And within applications and Herd Plus, there's an e-profit monitor input sheet. 
So a lot of the information, such as milk sold and animal sold through the marts and the factories, would be available on that. But just to go into that application, so it's in applications inside your ICBF Herd Plus um, screen server or such, and input in your costs. So they can be broke down. Some of them may be taken off the accounts, which may be completed to date. But in other cases, you'll need to look at the statements from the local suppliers, let's say, and fill them in accordingly. The more time that the farmer puts into it, and the more they question themselves on it generally, the better the return they get out of it. Like, most farmers I know get most return out of it themselves. It's not about benchmarking themselves or saying I'm better than you or whatnot, or going into the discussion group and being able to say the lowest cost of production. It's about being realistic. It's about um, asking yourself, how much money am I making? How much more can I afford to spend? Right? If something needs to be rectified, if there's an issue with uh, minerals, or there's an issue with soil fertility or something, and that cost is going to go up for a particular year, is the money in the system to do it? And by knowing what your cost of production is, you'll know how much of a margin is there to be able to put in those increased costs. Thank you, Edmund. Mr Edmund Mookley, Chagas Dairy Advisor with the office in Mallow. Full interview with Edmund in the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme between 10pm and 11 on this coming Wednesday evening. Local author John Hawk who has written a number of books in recent years on the cooperative movement, joins us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. First of all, John, welcome to the programme. In your most recent work, Mitchellstown Agricultural Cooperative Society Limited, 1919 to 1990 history, you document some of the earlier co-op amalgamations when smaller district co-ops had to join up with the bigger organisations in order to enable their members be viable as more and more milk became available. So just to say a few words of how that's covered in your book, these earlier amalgamations, not the big ones, these earlier ones involving now perhaps forgotten by many people, district co-ops who had existed for many years as standalone operations. The title of the book is Mitchellstown Cooperative and Cultural Society Limited a History, 1919 to 1990. Most co-ops were based around parish-based entities. They say Mitchellstown itself would be somewhat larger in the sense that five or six parishes all joined in together from its initial phase. But most co-ops, such as uh, Kilross or Gary Spillane or Shorevale, covered a relatively small area, but they were independent in their own right. They produced butter and uh, uh, returned the skimming to farmers. And what happened in the 1960s is a lot of these co-ops got extra milk from their farmers and they had a decision to make, would they stay on their own or would they join up with the likes of Mitchellstown? And originally what they did was that they continued with making their butter, uh, but they sold a portion of their milk to the likes of Mitchellstown or uh, Golden Vale or Dungarvan or places like that. And in that way, they built up a relationship uh, with the larger co-ops. So when it came to the, within the 1960s and 70s, you know, it was government policy to encourage the formation of larger entities with the EC looming in the horizon. Because it, it was felt that the smaller co-ops wouldn't be able to survive or compete uh, in the new dispensation that the EC was bringing. So there were many, some large co-ops joined and some uh, failed to join the sense that uh, one, of the, one of the titles of the chapters of the book is the one that got away 
So that referred to Castle Lions Co-op, which was just down the road. So um, it looked for a long time as if this was going to join with Mitchellstown. But right at the last minute, it, it joined uh, with Waterford Co-op or Dungavon Co-op at the time. But there were other very large cooperatives that joined with Mitchellstown in the sense of uh, you would CMP, Cork Milk Producers, in 1972. You also had uh, Emakili Co-op in East Cork, which joined in 1973. But there was a series of smaller co-ops that joined with Mitchellstown, the likes of Grannan, Beckheavy, in Limerick, Hostel, Kiltidi, Kilrasso. In the 10-year period between 1965 and 1975, about 12 or 14 co-ops joined up with Mitchellstown, and that is basically the area that Mitchellstown services today. Now, later on, you had obviously had the amalgamation between Mitchellstown and Betty Clausa. Look, it takes in uh, a large part of County Cork, parts of Limerick, East Limerick especially, uh, Tipperary, and it just touches into water for their Aragleen. So there's some suppliers in five counties now at the moment. So it all began, that amalgamation process, in 1965, John. Those local smaller cooperatives, they would have had uh, intense, loyal support, but in the end it was almost an inevitable uh, process with the members producing more milk. You know, most, uh, apart from Castle Lions, were unable to resist that push to amalgamate and get all their resources together. Yeah, like, I mean, that's the way it worked out in the sense that uh, if you were a smaller co-op, suddenly it was a bit like the local junior football team or maybe even intermediate football team. There was pride in the parish in the sense that often they produced very high-quality uh, butters and things like that. So you had that sense of uh, co-op loyalty and participation. But when uh, large investments had to be made and the... Uh, it's a the change in the times, you know, the fell in with Mitchestown, our other large crops in the areas. But you know, in the sense it's what it was um part of an inevitable process now as Nilo Keith said in, in um one of the rationalizations of the Meek Assembly scheme, like there were going to be little downsides in that in the sense that the traditional co op with the members being their meat to the branch, like to the great focal centre in villages and I want to say a social location for many farmers. I said this in, in meeting at the creamery you like you'd meet your neighbours, you'd discuss the matches, you'd discuss who was getting married or who had passed on. So you know to, so there were I want to say some losses as well as gains, but it was economics drove on the the necessity to in larger units, like you know, would you be able to put your finger on as near as possible the actual date on which the amalgamation of Mitchellstown Cooperative Society and Ballyclaw was you know voted and Dairy Gold created? Can you pinpoint the actual date? I mean, there was obviously a, a big meeting and a vote in yes. Mallow on this. Well, think of it now, I think it would look to be in or about say the 14th or 15th of August that the, the votes took place and in any amalgamation in Europe uh, a, a second vote two weeks later, a confirmatory vote at college and when that process was undertaken then um, you'd have to the society have to be registered so there it came into being formally on the 1st of October 1990 so I mean, they said mid-August some meetings and 
there you go, the self was formed on the 1st of October 1990 as the amalgamation machine Could you please give us a contact phone number for people who might like to speak to you and inquire where they can obtain a copy of your book, Mitchellstown Agricultural Cooperative Society Limited, 1919 to 1990 history. So a phone contact or something like that, John? Yeah, now you can contact me directly on 087-610-7893. So I'll repeat it. 087-610-7893 if you have any difficulty uh, sourcing a book. And we'll only be too happy to um, post one on or direct you to near a shop. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. John Hawk, author of Mitchellstown Agricultural Cooperative Society Limited, 1919 to 1990 history. Thank you, John. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On Thursday, December 12th, 2019, IRD Hallow marked the 30th anniversary of its establishment with celebrations at the James O'Keefe Memorial Institute in Newmarket. Ms Maura Walsh, IRD General Manager, spoke to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme following presentations to some long-serving staff members. Well, this was our annual board dinner, but it also was the start of our commemoration of 30 years of IRD Dohalo. The first board meeting was held in uh, November 1989. And as our chairman said, it was the year that the Berlin Wall came down, the year of the Velvet Revolution in the Czech Republic, the year of the uh, fairly violent protests, I must say, in South Africa, which saw the start of the finish of apartheid. And I suppose in, in its own way, there was a bit of a quiet revolution going on in Ireland. It was where what became known as the bottom-up approach, where local people decided to take things into their own hands, set up their own organisations to reverse the decline that had been happening. You had out-migration, there were more people belonging to families in New York and in London than there were in Ireland. You had, I suppose, agriculture 
it's always under pressure, but it was particularly under pressure during those years. And, you know, all in all, the prospect was not good. It wasn't good. And the group, mainly, they were all men, I must say, of men, founding fathers, here in Duhallow, they were all fishing on the black water together. And they set up IRD Duhallow and the rest is history, as they say. The people who had long years service, they were acknowledged this evening. Yes, we were delighted to honour a number of people that had achieved five 10 and 15 years plus service in both IRD Duhallow and Duhallow Community Food Services. So the first person we acknowledged was Rachel Bodd, who lives up in Whelan. And Rachel joined IRD Duhallow in 2014 as our horticulture trainer. And she was working with some of the TUS participants and on some of the programmes with COPE Foundation and, you know, other participants. And then in, uh, I suppose, the year after, in or two years after, in 2016, uh, we applied for and were successful in getting a local training initiative whereby unemployed people could study for a QQI Level 4 and indeed this year a Level 5 in horticulture and uh, Rachel has been our tutor on that. So Rachel was honoured for her five years of loyal service. The next person we had up was Tom Toomey from Kiss Game. Uh, Tom joined the Warmer Homes team in th- 2013 uh, we had started working that time on the new ventilation specifications and he worked. He was a very diligent worker, worked across the attics as well indeed. And then in August 16, he was appointed to supervisor with responsibility for coordinating other participants, 20 participants in fact at the time, uh, mainly in the communities of Eastern Duhallow. But more recently then he has led the development and maintenance of new market pitch and put and that we're told and we know to be one of the best pitch and put courses now in the country and the members on the board there are very proud of it and are very thankful to the work that Tom Toomey has done uh, on the course. Uh, he also looks after our vehicle fleet, making sure that they're all taxed and insured and roadworthy at the right times and he liaises with the uh, the Road Safety Authority of Ireland in, in that regard as well, which is great. Talking there about people with five-year service, but in fact we can double that in terms of uh, service for some people. We had indeed, and we had quite a number of, of 10-year services. The first person to, uh, to be honoured for their 10-year service was Aidan Creedon. Aidan lives in Mill Street with his family, and he has he began working with us on the Warmer Home Scheme, but then due to illness, he had to step down from that role, and when he came back to work after his, his treatment, we were able to accommodate him in DCFS, in the, the Rural Meal Service, where he became a driver and has been very, very successful in that role. He has experience in a number of the routes, so he's a great asset in that if somebody else, you know, has to take off or, you know, go on holidays, Aidan can step into any of the routes. But he mainly delivers around Newmarket, Whelan, Rockchapel, Brosna and Tully Lees. And, of course, he's also to hand to help with outside catering and any functions that we hold outside of the premises here. The next person we had up was Billy Brown. Billy lives here, literally halfway between uh, Newmarket and Kentork. 
qualified carpenter. He joined our force here in 2009, having spent 30 years with the sugar company in Mallow. Of course, that was a huge loss, John. The sugar, the sugar factory was a massive loss, not only to this area, but right across North Kerry, where I came from myself, where a lot of the beet was grown. Uh, we still lament the, 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 the loss of the sugar factory. But anyways, Billy was one of the people that after 30 years of service, then found himself without work, but was lucky enough, he came in here fairly straight away in 2009 and started working on the quality control aspect of our warmer homes houses. And, you know, we have, is it 3,500 houses insulated, John, since, since we started doing that work? He's a very pleasant man, a lovely, a real gentleman, and, you know, he's the ideal person to have going into houses and liaising with the people and, you know, answering any questions they might have. And he's also responsible for our quality assurance. And in the last year, all our independent external inspections, uh, we have a 100% pass rate on the houses, which is great. So um, that was Billy, and we're delighted that he's still still a loyal member of staff. The next person to be honoured was Niall Ganee. And Niall lives up near Rock Chapel, and he joined the Warmer Home Scheme in 2009. He's from a farming background, and he works mainly on the attic insulation side, but very versatile worker, often helps out with the cavity wall, the fitting of the roof and wall vents, window installation when called upon even. And a great member of staff. Uh, we had you know, a big event here yesterday, it's a funeral. One of our founder members, actually, the late Conor O'Flynn, the Lord Mercenum. Niall was on hand helping people parking their cars, making sure everybody got in quickly and safely. This weather, you want to get people in out of the cold quickly. So a very versatile worker. The next person up was Neely O'Flynn. I think Neely got a big cheer, very popular. Neely from Meelan originally, but of course now living over near, closer to Mallow, over the Lumberstown side. And he's the transport supervisor for, for DCFS. Fantastic worker, manages all the, the routes, manages all the drivers and make sure that all the meals get to the people on time at the right temperature. He also manages our HACCP records. That's the, the food hygiene standard that we have to adhere to. And he also looks after the logistics of moving equipment, cutlery and crockery for outside catering. I think any of you that would have gone to the plowing match over the last uh, I suppose 10 or 20 years, even at this stage, you would find Neely with the apron rustling up the breakfast rolls and the burgers and the shepherd's pies in the middle of the day and he knew nearly everybody that came into the tent. Uh, also being on this evening was Paul O'Connor. Paul from Mill Street started in 2007 as a full-time delivery driver. And would you believe he starts every morning here at 6.30 because he delivers all the fresh scones and cakes to the local retail outlets around Ohio. And he's also the liaison person between the shops and the food centre here. Uh, the second part of his day then is the meals delivery and he's, his route is probably one of the busiest routes that we have. It's the most densely, I suppose, populated and he has a very kind manner, lovely person. He covers the uh, Ratcool, Kilcorny, Mill Street, Lyre and Bantir. And would you believe during his time with us in the 10 years, he has saved more than one client reaching them on time. You know, it's so important, I suppose, having our drivers visiting people, especially people living in their own on a daily basis. And the next recipient, of course, a very worthy recipient, Orla Tompkins, who is the actual manager, of course, of DCFS. And she came in in 2008. And at that time, I looked at the records today, and we were delivering just under 10,000 meals. 
And this year we will tip almost 40,000 meals. So a huge development since Orla came on board. Uh, she is also, uh, of course, massive experience uh, in abroad and in Ireland as well. But uh, she completed a number of training courses and brought all the staff up to speed with all the Food Safety Authority um, skills and experience that, that one would require. Um, she has overseen all elements of the development of the facility and the business, including we're now supplying two schools, uh, Boherbui Secondary and Cantor Colosh de Trasse, with hot lunches and hot uh, food for breaks every morning. So uh, she's expanded the business and it is thriving due to her work and her leadership. A fantastic facility to have and a great woman to have it at Selim. There were some people with an astoundingly long service. Four recipients of the 15-year pens. And the first up was Olive Casey, very popular, she got a big cheer. Olive from Kiskema originally, now living in Glosh, joined us in 2001. At that time, it was a part-time administration job. But of course, over time, the business grew and the administration grew. So Olive now works full-time and she has a fantastic way with her. There isn't a road or a townland that she doesn't know. Um, she even knows when people come on and m- maybe often older people come on, they don't give their names. They'll just launch into, you know, today now I don't want the chicken, I'd rather the beef. Olive will actually recognise their voice and she'll say, that's fine, Mara, we'll do. <laughs> you know, she actually can, can identify who they are. Great worker, great team player, and we're delighted to, to have Olive still on our staff and still at the helm of the administration. Another recipient of the, would you believe, the Long Service Award was Din Lean. He joined in 2000, so he's almost 19 years service at this stage. Din is from Rock Chapel. And Din used to cycle in in the beginning, would you believe, to work. But of late, then we got the, the DART, the rural transport, so he availed of that, and he still avails of the bus now. But Din takes responsibility for all the hygiene aspects in the meals kitchen, all the utensils, all the equipment that goes out, you know, for events, and is always cheerful no matter what time of the day or evening you go into the, the kitchen there, dinner's there and cheerful and helpful always. Another very popular recipient, John Daly from Boherbui and again John is with us closer to 20 years than 15 years. Um, he works part-time. He's worked across a number of aspects of, of DCFS. He's been a driver and a deliverer and more recently now since we got busier uh, he works in the, the meals kitchen itself. Um, great man, very pleasant, always has time to stop and talk to customers and clients when they come in and indeed any visitors we have as well. And our final recipient is Ruth O'Sullivan. Ruth is from Cantork up there, Fairy Hillside. And Ruth is always, she's just so consistent in everything she does. Um, took a fantastic interest in the baking, especially since we moved over to the new building here in Newmarket. And she's constantly watching cookery programmes and picking up new ideas and new recipes and trying them out here. Um, she's a great girl, very, as I said, very solid, very consistent and, you know, a fantastic team player as well. And we're delighted to have her in town tonight. And there was one other statistic, I suppose, tonight, John, that you will recall. Olive Casey. Here, in her 18 years of service, has never missed a day of work, which is a fantastic record. 
I've often seen school children who might have gone through the, the eight years in primary school, but Olive has done 18 years without missing a day. Thank God, and we wish her continued good health. A great team serving rural Ireland and specifically rural Duhallow. Speaking to Ms. Maura Walsh, General Manager, IRD Duhallow, on the 12th of December 2019, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the establishment of IRD Duhallow. But a word or two about uh, the Duhallow farming for blue dots uh, catchments. A word or two about that and how successful it's been or otherwise, or what kind of response has there been to that? Well, no, we've got a fantastic response. Now, the, the programme is confined to the rivers Allo and Dallow and Coronan. It is the area between Newmarket right up to Fremont and into Cantorque up to Fremont and in between. Now, you probably all remember hearing the EPA's recent report that the number of pristine rivers have dropped and the number of very bad rivers have increased. So, without a doubt, our water quality is coming under pressure, and that's a pity. Because, you know, I always say nobody wants dirty water running through their farms, nobody wants dirty water running through their town parks or villages. So it's important, you know, for for men and beast, as they say, to make sure that our water is of the best quality. Now, we're fortunate enough here in Duhalo, uh, the work we had done already on the Allo uh, through the First Life programme has kind of paved the way, and we're looking at, I suppose, taking animals back from the very verge of the river, fencing off. We're also, I suppose, developing an individual farm plan for each farm. So our target is to have 100 farms enlisted by the middle of next year. At the moment, we're at 80 and our colleague Michael Morrissey is out helping farmers, you know, to draw plans and he's meeting with farmers. And I think he's something like 25 completed at this stage. And we have identified a number of demonstration farms as well, which will be very important because I think, you know, coming from a farming background myself, farmers tend to learn more from each other than from lectures or talks or anything else. So I think having the demonstration farm where they can go and see, you know, what's working practically on the ground will be a huge benefit. The whole concept of farmers being paid to, not compensated, but paid to deliver what I would call a public good, that is clean water and good biodiversity. I think that's the way it needs to go for rural farmers at this stage, especially the smaller farmers down here in Cork and Kerry. If you had to sum up the mission statement, as they call it nowadays, the mission statement of IRD Duhallow. IRD Duhallow formed its mission statement about 20 years ago. And... What we decided on is that IRD Duhalla would be a vehicle that would promote prosperity, self-help and quality of life. And it was translated into Irish by Sean O'Hailer from Boherby School and he called it Severus Akohu. And I think that has to be our mission. It has to be sustainable development. We have four planks in our strategy. That's the social development, cultural development, economic development and environmental development. The four legs of the chair, it won't balance on three. You have to have four for sustainable balance development. Uh, I suppose one of the things we did look at tonight with our board meeting earlier, and Jack Roach is, is very passionate about this, we all know that the, the cut to the leader funding uh, you know, was savage. Our last programme, we had 10.4 million starting. This time we had like 2.3 
which, you know, is, is, is massive in any 70 or 80 percent of a cut. And, you know, the country has begun to prosper, yet the money has not been restored to the leader programme or to the leader groups. And we did get a bit extra in Norcork. We got an extra 500,000. But it's only, at least it's going in the right direction, I suppose. That's the kindest thing I can say about it. But realistically, that money has to be restored because if you take the 10.4 million and we got a top-up of 2.5 million on top of that, can I tell you? That money, 80% of that money stayed within the Duhalla region. It went into the builders' providers. It went into the the farm shop stores, you know, it built halls, it built walks, it built playgrounds. So taking that much money out of the economy, you know, was was a savage blow at a time when it shouldn't have happened. We had come out of the worst of recession. We were hitting in 2016 and, you know, this is what happened. So, you know, I, I do hope that, you know, we're heading into, I think, to an election period by all accounts in the spring of next year. And that, you know, when the politicians come knocking on our doors, that we remind them that they have to invest in rural Ireland. You know, the, the white water rafting inside in the middle of the Grand Canal Dock or wherever it is, you know, 20, 30 million, not a blink. And at the same time, the jobs, the communities, you know, that's what they need to start investing in down here. It's, it's just not right that, it's, that we're left to our own devices. Irish MEPs, local politicians, be they councillors or TDs, it's up to those people to take up your message and to ensure that funding is restored. Absolutely, they're the policy makers. And if it becomes government policy, our ambition is that, you know, each of the, the, the main parties that are going for election, it should be in their manifestos. And we will be checking to see that it's included in their manifestos. And I think the people of Duhalla will be looking to see that it's included in the manifestos. And I think any politician that comes to the door without having, uh, you know, a strong, a very strong commitment to restoring that funding and put it back into the hands of the local communities. Like ILD Duhalla is not my company, it's not the board's company, it's owned by the people of Duhalla. They're the members, they're the people that come in here at AGM, and they're, they're my masters. We, you know, we work, all of us here in the office, we work to what the, the, the tune of our board and our communities want. So I do think that they will be fairly unforgiving this time in Duhalo. Maura, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. A pleasure as usual. Thank you. You're very welcome. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls and of course to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable weekend. Next, Agri Update due on this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11 Thanks for listening. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.